I was asked this week, what's the difference in questioning and doubt? In fact, Didi asked me that. And Didi, the best I could do is this. To ask a question is to really seek a deeper understanding. You ask a question because you want to know more. That you're not completely um, in an understanding of what you're dealing with. Right? So... <clears throat> Do aliens exist? I've got to ask a few more questions about that. The, the, the chicken come first or the egg come? I've got to ask a few more questions about that. Now, to question is akin to doubt. Because to question is really dealing with something that you know or something that is um, portrayed to be a fact. And, and you question because you don't believe it. Or it's hard to believe. And, 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 and doubt and questioning in this sense is aligned with uh, cynicism or, or, um, or suspicion. And let me tell you something. Questioning and doubting is a part of faith. It's as normal to our faith experience as anything we do. I dare say that if our belief has not been through the fire of questioning and doubt, then it's probably not really refined. So this morning I want to talk about those questions or, or doubts that we might have. I'm just going to raise a few just right off the top of my head. Like, did an invisible almighty God really create the universe and all that we know and all that we are? Do we really believe that? Well, that's two of you. <laughs> or what about all those miracles in the Bible? You know, are we really to believe that things happened that way? I mean, they don't happen that way today, really, do they? Or what about this resurrection thing? Do we really believe Jesus, dead three days in the grave, could possibly rise again? Well, a few more of you are bought into the resurrection. <laughs> but we've all been in a place, even though that you affirmed what I was asking questions about, you've been in a place that you've wondered. Maybe secretly or maybe in a group with others. You know, old Thomas, we always, when we think of doubt, we think of Thomas, don't we? How would you like to be known for the rest of your life with your name preceded by doubting, like doubting Dee Dee? Well, that sounds pretty good, that doubting Dee Dee. Well, Thomas, you see, he, he was both a questioner and also a doubter. Let me give him... Uh, give you this uh, understanding. Maybe this will bring home this difference between questioning and doubting. In the 14th chapter of John, which is a favorite of ours, we often hear it at memorial services because Jesus is talking about a place. I go and prepare a place for you. If I did not go and prepare a place for you, um, you know, where would we be? I go and prepare a place for you because you're mine. And he was going on about this place, and Thomas raised his hand and said, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know about this place, and how am I supposed to know the way if I don't know about the place? He was questioning. He needed to know more. And, and then when um, we have Thomas, where he got his 
tag doubting Thomas. We, we have Thomas in, who's AWOL when Jesus appeared to the disciples. And they are so excited. They said, Thomas, when he came back, they said, we have seen the risen Lord. He was here with us. And Thomas said, I don't believe it. Unless I can see the, the nail-scarred hands, unless I can place my hand in his side, I don't believe it. It didn't happen. And then Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. See my hands? See my side? And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. But today we're going to read about Peter. Peter, the one that um, we say was the rock, the one on whom the church was built. In the 14th chapter of Matthew's gospel, we have this story, a familiar one. It comes right after the feeding of the 5,000 and that miracle. Jesus has uh, sent the disciples off in a boat. And he's gone up to a mountain to pray. And a storm comes up. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. And by this time, the boat, battered by waves, was far from the land and the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. They were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and he started walking on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? See, sometimes we can doubt, not with our words, but just with our actions. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, in this story, Peter asked to go where he'd never gone before. They're so afraid in this boat. They're so afraid of losing their lives. And all of a sudden, they see this ghost coming toward them. And, and when the ghost identifies himself as Jesus, Peter believed it. And Peter said, Lord, let me come out to you. I want to walk right on these waves. I, I'm not afraid of anything, Lord. If that's you, I'm coming. Jesus said, well, come on. And, and we don't know if Peter took a step or two on the water. We don't know, but we know that he's starting to sink. 
took his eyes off Jesus. All he could see was, what on earth am I doing out of the boat? And Jesus extended his hand, saved him, and said, Peter, don't doubt. I'm with you. And he stilled the water. And they were back in the boat, safe and sound. Have you ever been where where Peter was in the boat? (laughs) Where it's tossing and turning and the waves are beating against it and you're wondering if you're ever going to survive this storm that you have in your life? Didn't we hear a beautiful testimony to that effect? Haven't, Haven't you been in the boat before? I mean, I have a similar story. I, I was in the boat of cancer. I heard that prognosis. You're, you've got about three years to live, son. And I started taking that experimental drug. I didn't know where it was going to lead. And, and here I was, pretty fresh out of seminary, and all of a sudden, I was questioning my faith. I was saying things like, does God really hear my prayer? I mean, with, with millions of people suffering and dying in this world, who am I? Is it a matter of having enough faith so that God will save you because of the faith that you have? I don't, I don't believe that. I don't know what I believe. I've been there. And, and you're tossing and you're turning and, and, and all of a sudden when you reach that point that you know you can't save yourself and you know that this boat is, 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 is destined to not survive, then by faith, like Peter, I've stepped out in the water. Now, I'm not going to say I've walked on the water. My experience has been as soon as I've stepped out, I've known myself to be in the midst of the storm. And as long as my eyes were on Jesus, even with the waves beating around me and my life being tossed and turned, when my eyes were on Jesus, there was a peace and there was a calm in me, though everything around me was stormy. But when you turn and you start looking at your circumstance again and all you can see is the bad that is around you and all you can see is yourself and your own ability to save yourself, then that's when I've started to sink. How about you? You you know, whenever you address this situation of, of stormy life, whenever you start dealing with these issues of questioning and doubt, there is no one in this room who hasn't had questions and doubts. There's no one in this room who doesn't know the experience of being in the boat. And because you're here in this room and you're a person of faith, I dare say there's very few, if any, in this room who don't know the experience of stepping out into the storm by faith with your eyes on Jesus and maybe in the midst of that finding your attention diverted to the storms itself and how am I going to make it. Now, am I talking to a crowd that doesn't know this experience? Do I have the wrong crowd? This is the right crowd? 
I know it is. You know what I was thinking about this week? I was thinking about the day that Crosswalk began. You know when Crosswalk started? Sunday, September the 16th, 2001. Dee we were so excited because the west side of this campus had been totally renovated. We had a Christ Family Center. We had a new gymnasium. Asbury Hall was being renovated into this beautiful multi-purpose room, but it was mainly being renovated into a new worship space. And so months before September the 16th, we said we're starting on September the 16th and everything will be finished. It'll, be, it'll have new church smell in, there, in the room. <laughs> and two weeks before September the 16th, we knew it wasn't going to be finished. There would likely be no carpet on the floor, no paint on the walls, none of the five screens in the room would be finished. We'd have to prop a screen up if we wanted to have worship in Asbury Hall. And we said, we're going to do it. And then on Tuesday, 9-11 happened. And if ever there was an experience in my life when everybody in this country felt like they were in the boat, it was after 9-11. I mean, not only this country, but the world felt tossed and turned by the the terrible, horrific act that we call 9-11. We didn't know what to do. And nearly collectively... On Sunday, September the 16th, not only at Lover's Lane, not only in Crosswalk, but in every church across this land, there were more people in church that Sunday than an Easter Sunday. There were 350 people the day we started Crosswalk. It was so cram-packed. Did anybody care there wasn't carpet on the floor? Did anybody care that there wasn't paint on the walls? Did anybody care that we had a prop-up screen? No. Because we were in a boat that was shaken like never before. And we were wanting so badly to step out and keep our eyes on Jesus. In the days that would follow, we saw fear and suspicion become the order of the day. Do you remember when you looked at someone who looked like they were from the Middle East and you wondered if they had a bomb strapped to them? Just because of the way they looked? Do you remember all of the, the, the fear that was was so much a part of this country that was really tearing our economy apart and the, uh, the depression that set in, the jobs that were lost, people not knowing really where to turn next. Churches started feeling the crunch of budgets because giving was down. War broke out. People were losing family members and the war in Iraq And storms were 
upsetting people so much personally that relationships and family, uh, families were falling apart. And those of us who were in care ministry, we, we could see this firsthand and it was taxing us as well. But we preachers were saying, you know, this is a terrible thing. But that we have our eyes on Jesus and we're coming to church in numbers like never before, maybe it'll bring a revival in this country like we've never seen before. That the boat has been so tossed and we've stepped out into the water and we're, we have our eyes on Jesus and then those numbers in worship on September 16th, a few months later, they were kind of back to normal all across the country. And today, 17 years later, I mean, we, we in mainline churches look at our attendance and say, you know, we, we, we don't have as many people in church now that we had 17 years ago. Because people, people's lifestyles are different. You know, I got a letter shortly after 9-11 we started doing some ads because we could see the momentum of people coming back to church and we wanted to say, hey, come on, come get in the boat with us. We'll step out on faith, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, come on. And, and some guy wrote me a letter and he professed that he was a diehard agnostic, writing a preacher. A die-hard agnostic. And here's what he said. He said, I want to congratulate you and your congregation on your new ad campaign. I heard the commercial on KDMX this morning and I was intrigued by the positive message. I thought initially that it was going to be a Mormon thing. I love that. But I was surprised to find it was a Methodist thing. Good job on your messages of inclusivity and values. While I'm a diehard agnostic, I hope you are truly able to help those who need it the most and appreciate what you're really trying to do. I read that letter and I said, what am I going to do with this? What is the story behind this diehard agnostic that he would take the time to write a preacher that he doesn't know about a church that he'd only heard about on the radio and to thank us for helping others who needed it? You know what I did? I wrote him back. And I said, I want to... First, thank you for your encouragement about our ad campaign. Thanks for taking the time not only to write, but to share your name and your address so that we could visit. But in case you're here today in worship, I want to share some things with you from my heart. First, I simply want to say thanks. I was encouraged by your statement. I hope you are 
truly able, this is his statement, I hope you're truly able to help those who need it the most and appreciate what you're doing to try to help them. You're right on. What we are trying to do is to reach out to those who need it the most. And we're also trying to touch the lives of those who know that they need God and those who haven't acknowledged their need for God yet. You see, I believe that our congregation is recognizing that our need for a relationship with God is our most basic need as human beings. We're created by God and there is this longing in our souls, you know, deep within us, that longs to be complete and longs to be made whole. And there is really nothing that fills that void, that hole, but a relationship with God and Jesus. And, and then I said, you, you probably have heard about that other uh, great agnostic, Leo Tolstoy. You know, he wrote War and Peace, one of the two, second or third greatest novels in world literature. And in 1879, he, he wrote a book called A Confession. And, and he talked about how empty his life was. How he'd become rich through an inheritance, but he couldn't answer the question, what is the purpose of life? He said, I was at the brink of suicide. Because when I would ask those pressing questions about what is there in life after I have experienced my impending death, there was nothing. And he said, I found, a quote, I found no satisfaction in the answer to why do I live in the infinity of space and the infinity of time. Infinitely small particles mutate with infinite complexity. That didn't satisfy me. Where did I come from? Where am I headed? Who am I? What is life about? I learned from peasant Russians who shared Christ with me. Who showed me faith that was so real and genuine that in receiving Christ into my life, it changed everything about me. And I said to my agnostic, my diehard agnostic friend, you know, that's amazing to me that someone as brilliant as Tolstoy could have such a confession of such a need in his own life that he could step out of the boat and put his eyes on Jesus. Even in the midst of his questioning and doubting and, and feel the touch of Jesus' hand. And Jesus reached out and saved him. Well, well thanks for writing. I've, I've enjoyed our, our time together. Oh, one more thing. I also want to sincerely invite you and any other 
agnostic friend you might have or anyone who doesn't know relationship with Jesus to come to our church. I wanted to say, come get in the boat with us. And know what it's like to step out of the boat and to put our eyes on Jesus and to feel the hand of the man who still the water. I don't know where you are today. You may be in the boat and it may be tossing and turning. Or you may be in the boat and it's pretty calm right now. You may have taken that step out into the water. You may still have your eyes on Jesus and everything is all right, or you may be sinking and you're wondering why in the world you got out of the boat. But I want all of us to hear the message that I think Jesus would want us to hear in the midst of our questioning, in the midst of our doubting, in the midst of the life um, circumstances that has our, our life shaken and tossed and turned. That each and every one of us can put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself. You can look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. You can't do it on your own. You can't save yourself. It's bigger than you. And the man who saves us causes us to see one another differently. So, so why wouldn't you? Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. You can sing if you'd like. Dee Dee's already singing. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself and you can look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Amen.